0: I think that we are innately bent toward law and not gospel. We, we love the list, man. Just give me the thing to do. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And it would be easy to read the sermon that way. Um, do these things. Don't do these things. It's just inherent to our human nature to think that if we do, then we'll live. Um, and so we need to recognize that that is not fundamentally what Jesus is doing. The sermon you're listening to the chopping block a weekly podcast from city
1: life church where we have short informal conversations about the bible and the
0: meaning it has for our lives if you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon i'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off we're on we
1: are officially on. On. And. Live. We, Andy. Andy Atkinson, you are now a four-time Super Bowl champion. How good does it feel? We're in the golden How era. long have you been a Chiefs fan? Man, I've been a Chiefs fan for a very long time. So, but you might only be a three-time champion, actually. If, if, uh,
0: yeah, the first Super Bowl that we won, I was, was not born it, Was then. it
1: 85? Was it in the 80s? No, it was in
0: the 60s. Okay, okay.
1: Well, anyways, big week, fun week. Get to bask in, in 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 the glory of a victory. I love it
0: so much because my dad and my brothers are Denver Broncos fans. <laughs> How great was it that we beat Mike Shanahan's son, oh. <laughs> and that we did it in the the Raiders Stadium, right? And wow. that John Elway had to hand the trophy over.
1: <laughs> I had not even thought about that. Jeff B. from my city group apologized for this uh, this this painful moment as a Broncos fan. Well, we are back in the chopping block to discuss this week's sermon, which really was kicking off while we're kinda almost in a mini series within a large series. We're in the, the Gospel of Matthew and now we're gonna focus on the Sermon on the Mount for a while. And uh gonna be here for a bit. This is this is gonna be a journey, a really fun journey and powerful and also one we need to approach the right way. And so you know you started almost with a caution about how uh, we approach the sermon. And, and I want to a quote you, read, which I thought was really helpful. It's from Daniel Doriani. Is that how you say his name? Indeed. He says, regarding the Sermon on the Mount, among Jesus' teachings, it is perhaps the most beloved, the best known, the least understood, and the hardest to obey. Its attraction is obvious. And even that feels a little paradoxical, that quote to a to a sermon and to the Beatitudes, which we'll get into in a minute, that feel a little paradoxical. But but what? why is the sermon both beautiful, beloved, so good, and also hard to understand, hard to obey, and, and maybe potentially uh, dangerous for us if we don't approach it the right way?
0: Well, I think I also said in the sermon, quoting D.A. Carson, you know, like a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Right. Essentially what he's saying is like, if you pull, if you pull any sentence out of the paragraph it's embedded in, if you pull any paragraph out of the page, it's embedded in, uh, you can probably end up in a bad place. You can end up trying to make it say something. It's not actually saying you got to root words in their context. Um, one of my professors in seminary used to always say, "Context is king, yeah context is king, and so you you really have to discern the context and what a lot of people want to do with the Sermon on the Mount is like you know pull it out of its context and make it a part of this anthology of great writings you know and and so it just becomes like a code of ethics, yeah. these kind of you know uh, axioms for life, you know these sort of proverbial teachings and sayings. Yeah. And we can't do that. You know, Matthew is telling us a story about Jesus and he's, he, he starts by telling us that he is the long awaited son of Abraham, son of David, you know, that we, we find, we find the meaning of, of this sermon in the story that he had been, has been telling and that he, he will go continue to tell all right. the way until Jesus goes to a cross for our sins. And so, I mean, that's, that's part of the challenge there is to not just make it stand alone, but to root it in the context of the story that's being told about Jesus. But then we still have to answer the interpretive questions of what is Jesus doing right. with the sermon? right? Um, what is he trying to accomplish? And I think that we are innately bent toward law. Yeah. And just give us a list of things to do. We We love the list, man. Just give me the thing to do. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And it would be easy to read the sermon that way. Right. Um, Do these things. Don't do these things. It's just inherent to our human nature to think that if we do, then we'll live. Um, And so we need to recognize that that is not fundamentally what Jesus is doing with the sermon. Um, He's not saying if you do these things, then you can be part of the kingdom. Right. And we know that because it starts with his disciples sitting at his feet. Um, he's already called them to be his disciples. Um, there's, this crowd has been attracted to Jesus because he's been healing um, and proclaiming. And, and so he's gathering. And so he's not saying, hey, the way in is to do these things. He's saying, let me teach you about the kingdom. Let me tell you what it's like. Let me paint a picture for you. And so he's inviting us to live according to the kingdom, to be participants in the kingdom. Uh, but the same Jesus who teaches us these things dies on a cross to welcome us into the kingdom. And and we've already seen in chapter three that John is testifying. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we need the work of the Holy Spirit fundamentally to ever be able to do any of these things that Jesus is talking about. Uh, we can't we can't just do these things on our own. So we have to root it in its context to make sense of right. it. We have to recognize what Jesus is doing. I think we said on Sunday, man, he's, um, he's inviting us into a way of living, mm-hmm. and he's painting a picture of what the rule and the reign of God is like. Here's what it looks like when God's kingdom comes in a life and in the world. That's really good. Here's
1: what it looks like when God's kingdom comes in a life and in a world. And, and kind of what you just said gets us really into the Beatitudes, which we started this week. The, we looked at the first four and verses Three through six, and and you start with this word "blessed," which you kind of pointed out is 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 biblically it's wisdom wisdom language, it's flourishing language, it's happy. Happy is the one Psalm we, one.
0: We struggle to know what to do with that word, right? Because we don't have a great English equivalent. Um, like what is it? What is blessed? You know, and so you know sometimes we go with the word "happy." But even our our use, our the way that we tend to use "happy" is pretty trite. Right, it's pretty circumstantial. That's not how the Bible's using that word. Um, it's more of a state of being. Mm-hmm. It's a way of living in the world. Um, which is why you're saying it's wisdom language. Yes, there is a way of life that leads to to happiness. You know, Pennington, that I think I quoted a couple times in the sermon says he thinks the best, the best word to get at what. Blessed is communicating as flourishing. Mm. Um, that this is an invitation to a way of flourishing in the world.
1: So if that's the case, and you could have mentioned this on Sunday, but I think it's good for us to maybe uh, flesh out a little bit more is if, if someone hears that definition of the word blessed, this is flourishing language. Flourishing is the one. Happy is the one. All of us have a view of what should come next, Mm -hmm. a view of maybe what we might call the good life. This is what uh, I'm I'm running after, and this is what if I attain, I'm in a good place. I'm happy. I'm flourishing. That looks different for a lot of different people. Right. Right. And we see that play out in our culture in a lot of different ways, and Jesus is really flipping that on its head. But maybe talk just for a minute about this kind of competing vision of the good life that that we all have.
0: Oh, we all have a version of what goes at the end of that statement, you know, blessed are, blessed is the one who. We all have an answer to that. Um, it's a vision of the good life. I mean, we would naturally end that with like things like, flourishing are the wealthy, mm-hmm. you know, the ones who have. You know, financial affluence, mm-hmm. or flourishing are the secure. Those who are like rooted and feel safe, or flourishing, flourishing are those who have found their soulmate. Yeah. You know, flourishing are the the ones who have attained to romantic love. Yeah, uh, there's all kinds of things we might put there. And what's interesting is if you zoom back a little, a little bit, Bob Thune, pastor in Nebraska, he points out that like the American dream mm. is a vision of the good life, right? You know that um, it is, it is. Conveying a vision for how to be happy, um, and that story is being told in our culture over and over and over again. Um, this, these, and, and it's not—I'm I'm not saying all of that's bad, right? But, but right. you know, the American dream ultimately is—is is really, it's a vision of a kingdom of a way that the world could be and should be, right? You know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, George Washington had this vision of everyone being able to sit under his own shade tree, and you know, each have his own plot of land and be able. You know, this idea of individual freedoms. Yeah. Um, and and what we're told, whether we recognize it or not, is that if the American dream is attained, that you'll be happy. Yeah. Jesus is doing something similar there. So what I'm I'm saying that to say this isn't anything new, but Jesus' vision for the way to flourishing is different. It's yeah. better. It's better if we have ears to hear. It doesn't sound better at first. Right. I mean, yeah, because you you would think maybe in addition to
1: some of the other statements you made, you know, blessed is the one or flourishing is the one who has it all together. Right. You know, the the influencer or the Instagram person who whose life they've got together they they manage their time perfect they have the perfect schedule they do these things well right they look the part and then jesus comes out the gate with blessed
0: are the poor in spirit yeah i mean our our cultural equivalent to to that is um blessed are those who have um oh, what's so who have good self esteem yeah right Blessed are those who have high self-esteem. Jesus says the opposite. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. That's strange. Mm-hmm. That sounds really strange. I mean, it would have been shocking for anybody who is listening. Like, nobody nobody was expecting Jesus to lead out with that. Yeah. It, we, especially, you know, if he starts with this, like, blessed language, the makari, makarios word, that was common. That wasn't surprising. But to finish that sentence with poor in spirit, they were like, what? Um, Which for some of them probably sounded like good news. Like some of the people that were being attracted to Jesus were poor in spirit. Right. And so I'm sure it was super intriguing. Um, Wow. What? But nobody was expecting it. So what is he
1: doing? And We're going to talk about the second set. You could see people see them differently. Some like just see it as two sets, you have the first four beatitudes, and then you have the second four, and the, I just read today that there's 30 se- 36 Greek words in each set they're perfect, like there's symmetry
0: there, right or some people see it as three sets of three, so
1: yeah, and then the, what I was going <laughs> to say is there's then the other guys reading will say no it's it's three, three, two, one like it's uh, like uh, yeah, they, they break it up right but what is like just give us a general framework, what is Jesus doing? with these 10 or, you know, then you have the
0: additional one, but 10 statements. I think some of what Jesus is doing as he begins here is to say, if you, if you think you're winning at the game of life, yeah, maybe you're not. Another way of saying that is if if you're living for the kingdom of this world, you might be missing out on the kingdom of God. Mm. (laughs) That's a word. That's a word. You know, but if you've come to a place where you recognize, hey, this world ain't doing it for me. In fact, it's led me to a place of emptiness and brokenness. Yeah. And, I long for something more. I long for something different. I long for a different kind of a kingdom. I know that I need a king, not me. Yeah. You know, so the language we use Sunday was, if you've been brought to a place of spiritual bankruptcy, Jesus says, kingdoms for those kind of people. Yeah. And so at first glance, it's like, man, how is it a blessing? How is it, how is it how does it lead to flourishing? To be poor in spirit, to be empty, to know you don't have what it takes. Yeah. Well, because that's what opens you up to the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know the what did he start out declaring? Repent, turn from all of these other things you're living for. Mm-hmm. Relinquish and let go of the idols and the kings and the kingdoms of this world because the kingdom of God has come near. And if you're poor in spirit, your grips loosened. Yeah. You, you know that the things of this world actually don't add up. They don't fulfill so that you can embrace the kingdom of God. So like you're blessed. Yeah. That's actually the way to flourishing.
1: So he's given us a counter kingdom, an upside down kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. It's provocative. It's paradoxical. Um, and the reason why we know this is not something we can make happen on our own is because you'll never be able to receive this without the work of the Spirit right? to prepare you to receive it. Because poor in spirit, morning will never sound like good news. Nobody wakes up and goes, man, I really want to be poor in spirit today. Until the Holy Spirit brings you to that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so maybe just for a second, you know, poor in spirit, mourn those who mourn those who are humble or meek what just a couple of statements on those like what does it mean and what does it not mean so when we talk about like poor in spirit you know you, you've gone in on that one a little bit but even like mourning
0: what is, what does it mean and what does it not mean well the apostle paul talks about a worldly sorrow yeah versus like a godly sorrow what we're not talking about here is just this morose self-loathing. Right. We're not we're not talking about self-deprecation. We're talking about a genuine brokenness. Mm. Over your own sin, but also over the sin of the world. Like Jesus is saying you're blessed if you've come to a place where you go, man, this can't be what life was meant to be. This can't be how the world was supposed to work. So if you if you found yourself in a situation where you're going, man, in my own life? Like, I'm grieved. I'm I'm, glee- I'm grieved by my propensity to sin. I'm grieved by the fact that I'm not as far along as I wished I was. I'm grieved by the fact that I keep coming back to these things. Jesus says, the people who get honest about their sin to the point of being broken over it, receive God's comfort. He meets you there. If you try to pretend like it's not there, if you try to belittle it, if you try to make light of it, there's no blessing in that. Mm. If you bury it, if you hide it, there's no blessing there. But God meets those who get honest about their junk. If you look outside the window and you're broken by the condition of things, if you grieve Ukraine, if you grieve Israel Hamas conflict, if you grieve you know, just everywhere we look. Yeah, the lostness, the brokenness, the lesson. Lostness, the brokenness, the you know, and Jesus says there's comfort for those who grieve. Yeah. You know, that's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, a turning. Um versus, yeah, if you just go, Man, this this all stinks, that's not what he's talking about. Yeah. But really getting getting down beneath the surface and dealing with it. And then, you know, to be meek is to not be self-asserting. Yeah. Um, you know, so we struggle with a translation for that word too. Like, is it humility? Is it gentleness? I think it's some of both. Um, you know, to be meek is to know that you don't have equity stake in the world's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, I can't strong arm my way through this one. This is hard for like Enneagram 3s. You know, like <laughs> I can't manipulate my way forward. I can't manipulate the kingdom forward, right? Ooh. That's a word in our political moment. Yeah. I mean, I think what Jesus is talking about fundamentally and I'm not I'm not talking about uh, not performing civic responsibility. I'm not right. talking about not voting. Please hear me. Like right. do your civic duty. But there are people who think that the kingdom is going to come by force, that it's going to come by political power, that it's going to come by you know, moral majority, and Jesus yeah. is going, no, like, it's the meek who inherit the earth. Mm. Like, when you give up on fleshing your way forward or fleshing the kingdom forward, and you got the Spirit's got to do this. We've got to pray this thing forward. They're the ones who inherit the land.
1: And for those of us who are perfectionists or Hard workers or problem solvers, or you know i'm just gonna i just gotta make this stuff happen initially. This sounds like I don't even know how to, I don't even know like I only know one way forward, but then you like realize the good news that this is mm-hmm. the freedom that comes with like, no, I don't have to do it on my own i don't I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to play this part anymore. I can actually be free to not be okay, yep, I can be free to be broken before. Jesus, because he's the one who makes me whole and I can't find it on my own. I mean, there's so many people are tired. Yep. So many people
0: are tired and anxious, man. Like part of how this is good news is that Jesus is saying there's a way to have a non anxious presence in uh, the world. Yeah. There's a way to actually live and to not be filled with anxiety. Yeah. And it's through the surrender of the gospel. Um. my needs to receive that today yes please
1: well before we close maybe just especially you know we looked at just the first four we're going to look at the second four however you break them up this next week there's a there's they're kind of building here right these first you know poor in spirit mourn humble and then this hunger and thirst for righteousness there's, there's a build happening here in some ways correct
0: I think so yeah I think there's kind of a natural progression here that you see And how is verse uh, six blessed are
1: those who or blessed, as you say, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled? Why is that's kind of a hinge here? What what's what's Jesus doing?
0: there? It seems like that's the fulcrum point, right? Yeah. It leads you to a point of crying out. It takes you outside of yourself, right? You know, to where you're going like, God, you got to do this. I long for a different kind of a world. I long for a different kind of a heart in me. I hunger and thirst for something I know that I don't inherently have yeah. or, and am incapable of producing on my own. Yeah, You know, and so that, you know, personally, but then also like societally. God, I long for your righteousness to be manifest in the world, mm. for your rule and reign to come, but you got to do it. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says... Hey, I satisfy those who cry out to me. I mean, you think about what Jesus is going to go on and teach us in the sermon. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but like you don't have because you don't ask. Right. Ask and seek and knock. He's going to teach us how to pray. And then he's going to point us to birds and lilies. And he says, don't be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added. Like Jesus is is teaching us about a way to live in the world under the rule and the reign of God. He's teaching us about what the kingdom is like. Yeah, But it starts here with coming to a place of surrender and a place of abandoning self-reliance. Yeah. And crying out to God and saying, God, I long for your, your ways to be manifest in my life and in the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. And he satisfies those whose hearts cry out in that way. Yeah. He meets us there. That's the good news of these Beatitudes. So maybe the
1: the final thought for us is just this is an invitation. Right. It is an invitation to the real good life, not the one you maybe have been giving yourself to.
0: Yes. this This is, you know, We can placate ourselves on Turkish delight. I'm sorry for the Narnia reference. I love it. Um, Ultimately, it's going to leave us with a sour stomach. Um, And that's what the white witch wants, you know? Or we can satisfy ourselves in the way of life that Jesus is inviting us into. Yeah. He's offering us Himself, He's the King of the Kingdom. He's offering us a way of living in the world that actually leads to true satisfaction. Uh, but the way up is down.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a good reminder for both of us this week, and I hope it's a good reminder for you and maybe an invitation for you for the first time to really see yourself rightly and to
0: see the world rightly. And if you struggle with that, I mean, I think it starts with, like, being still. Mm-hmm. Be still before the Lord. Ask Him to help you understand what it means to be poor in spirit. Yeah. What it means to to grieve your sin. To get beyond the general platitudes of "oh yeah, I'm a sinner too," but to really go, man, no, like let me name them. Yeah, let me let me own it, and let it humble me, and 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 help me to realize how little I have control and power, <laughs> um, so that I'll yield. Yeah, and, and and cry out to God, and He'll meet you there. That's right.
1: Well, that's good, man. Your words have been really helpful this week, and I'm really excited to see what the Lord does. On our Sunday mornings, but also in our city groups as we discuss the Sermon on the Mount over the next several months. So, man, thankful for you. Thanks for preaching.
0: It's going to be good. It's a good text, bro. Yes, it is.
1: We'll see you next week.
0: If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.